0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose. Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. You're listening to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theater Group podcast. I'm Doug Baker, Center Theater Group's producing director, and I'll be your guest host for this episode. I work closely with artistic director Michael Ritchie to bring productions to our three theaters the Amundsen Theater. Mark Taperform, and Kirk Douglas Theatre. Joining us for this episode of 30 to Curtain is theatre producer Kevin McCollum. Kevin has produced some legendary Broadway shows throughout his career, including Rent, Avenue Q, In the Heights, and The Play That Goes Wrong, which joins us at the Elmitson Theatre July 9 through August 11, 2019. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and we look forward to seeing you at the theater. Before we talk specifically about the play that goes wrong, I'd like to focus on the numerous projects uh, CTG has had the pleasure, the fortunate uh, situation of working with you on, because really we've had quite a rich history together, haven't we? Uh,
1: you are you are my, my training ground, my past, <laughs> my present, and... and...
0: It looks like my future as well, which I'm excited about. Indeed, indeed. We have produced together. We have partnered as producers, uh, specifically on the world premiere of The Drowsy Chaperone, Minsky's. Uh, We recreated the incredibly beautiful uh, production of La Boheme, directed by Baz Luhrmann, that you produced on Broadway. We brought that to Los Angeles audiences only, thanks to your help. And you were a partner with us on the transfer of Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, moving to Broadway. Of course, we've also presented a number of your amazing productions, uh, specifically Rent, Avenue Q, and quite recently, Something Rotten. And now we're going to move into the play that goes wrong. Well, so, first all, of all, let, right? let me say thank you for all that. Uh, you're welcome. But you're
1: forgetting the most important thing we've done together. And this is before your time, Doug. I actually trotted the boards at the Almanac. I hope you
0: would mention this. She Loves Me, starring yes. Pam
1: Dauber and Joel Higgins <laughs> and so many wonderful, wonderful people. And when I was an actor here, to, to be on your stage was a dream come true. And to actually then uh, sort of evolve into a producer where I found shows to bring to your stage is, uh, is not lost on me. And sort of this sort of journey in the arts of, of how you try to contribute while you're here. So the Amundsen has a very, very special place in my heart. And I'm grateful that, uh, that I'm able to work
0: with you and Michael and the entire organization here. Thank you very much. I, I kept that window card of the production that you did. It's uh, valuable outside my office for many years. It's it's valuable
1: to to no one. So <laughs> uh, you may have it.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you. So let's jump into uh, the play that goes wrong. This uh, phenomenal comedy. How refreshing to uh, be talking about a comedy. It I mean, is. We, we love our dramas
1: uh, and we love and tap our musicals. Dancing. I love tap. I However love musicals. It, I, I f- was born on musicals. I, I, I grew up in Hawaii where my intro to Broadway was records. So it's no surprise I produced The Drowsy Chaperone about a man who sits in his room, although he was, you know, middle-aged. I was 10 to 14, so I had a reason. Um, and uh, I am um, thrilled that we are bringing a show that is so different And yet, it's rooted in a tradition of theater we don't see anymore. I've heard you mention the tradition.
0: I think that's very interesting. How how do you see that? Well,
1: I see it in that, you know, theater and uh, live entertainment before television, the special effect often was laughter. It was a very difficult time, obviously. We're talking, you know, the turn of the century. We're Mm -hmm. talking the 20s, going through the wars. The idea of showing up at theaters, people—that was their how they got the entertainment. Uh, yes, film and tell—I mean, film was was happening. Television hadn't happened, but the live arts were sort of what built our country and actually promoted uh, immigration. In that, if you look at our art form, it is a is a culmination of British music hall, Irish storytelling, uh, Viennese operetta. Uh, in the in the, in, the, in the 20s, we started to get the Cuban and African uh, sort of musical uh, mm-hmm. elements within our vocabulary. Yes. And then finally, the secret sauce that turned Broadway into Broadway was the Yiddish theater. And why? Because rather than looking out and singing about what we are or doing presentational, they turned to each other to say, who are we and how do we get through our day? Mm-hmm. And that brought a showboat which was really the first musical about looking at ourselves through music socially as well as in the sort of great tradition of great singing. And so with that that element, at the same time with Charlie Chaplin and things like that, physical comedy, because you didn't have sound. So you had to create conflict through man and environment Mm -hmm. or man against man Mm -hmm. visually without words Mm -hmm. or very few words. So, what we've done now with the play that goes wrong is in the in the tradition of of great Chaplin-esque meets Monty Python meets Benny Hill meets Show of Shows, Sid Caesar, 50s television. This vocabulary is a lost art form in the last 40 years on stage. And the play that goes wrong brings that back. That's the secret weapon Mm. we have that people don't realize until their theater. Why am I laughing? because it's in our DNA, it is in our DNA because when we laugh and our brain secretes dopamine, can you say secretes on this show? Um, it's theatrical, right? Uh, you have this wonderful euphoria of, oh, I've met my tribe. I came into this darkened place called the Amundsen. It's a theater and it's theater and I'm in an LA town, which is, I'm mean in LA, which is a Hollywood film intelligent town. And I am having belly laughs with strangers. I'm not in my car. I'm not spending my time how to get across Fountain to get to my next place. I, I'm not waiting on the 101. I'm with strangers in L.A., downtown. And look at what you've done here since I was here as Many an Many who have
0: made a big effort to get y- yes, to the theater. A, but you have a yeah. great
1: destination here. When I you know, first performed here, it was just you guys and a courthouse. So you were either an actor or you were going to jail. Those were the two <laughs> things you could do here. Now... It, you got Disney Hall, you got the Contemporary Museum of Art, and theater is only getting stronger. And now you, how you're programming, not only here, but everywhere around the city, it is a golden time for theater. And so to bring back something so analog, which is, it is what it says it is. Yep. It's a play that goes wrong. Yep. It's like how ridiculous, how simple, and yet how special. And yeah. that's what I'm excited about for five weeks that Los Angeles audiences get to experience.
0: I've also heard you uh, talk about a, another secret weapon, if you will, in this production, and it's not uh, a human being. It's your eleventh character. Uh, it's the uh, the physical production, the set. Well, the Is set that did, true? yeah. Well, the set actually um, did win the Tony. Uh,
1: we were up for one Tony, and it was for set, and the set won. And let me tell you. Getting that set to agree to get into that truck every week, I can't tell you the rider that set comes with. It needs... I mean, we have to talk to the set while we're putting it up. We have to use special hinges. Uh, We cannot use screws anymore. They want a smooth nail. It hurts less, uh, I'm told. Um, So there's a lot we've had to do for this set. Climate-controlled trucks, I hope. Let me just say, our set has a drinking problem, all right? I just want to say that right now. Uh, Thank God the guys who drive the trucks don't, but... In the back, that set is uh, is having a few. Um, and that's why it's a little unstable uh, throughout the show. And that's why the actors have a challenge, and that's why the play that goes wrong does. You could, in fact, consider it the antagonist of the show. You actually can, actually, and that's uh, – it is because um, – the one thing, you know, the cliche of being an actor in the theater is all you have to do is say your lines and don't bump into the theater. I mean, don't bump into the set um, or the furniture. But when the furniture is actually <laughs> actively trying to get you to bump into it, it becomes a different dance. But all kidding aside, um, this play is a physical sort of journey. It is. It, it, every yes. actor up there is not only a comedian. They're all very much athletes. Yes. We have a we have a half hour call before the show to get everyone prepared. It, it's it's like doing a big big musical, but it's a play. And I think it's why we're in our this play. Not only was two years on Broadway, but we're going to run two and a half years on the road. And for a play, that's unheard of to have a second full season. And uh, and part of that was because very early on the Amundsen said we think our audiences will love this. And we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. And without theaters like the Amundsen, and it's so healing for the company because our company's been doing a week or two weeks or three weeks, but then to come to Los Angeles and be able to do five weeks with such a sophisticated uh, audience and also uh, one that, that that again, we're thirsty for laughter. There's a lot of great drama. There's a lot of great shows and musicals, are, there are musical comedies. But there's not been sort of a laugh, out, fall down, so true. fall so out true. of your seat yeah. comedy. We did LA not for hesitate a long time. to
0: uh, ask you to uh, figure out a way that we could present it. And we were very pleased to be doing it during the summer. We think it's a great time to come in and have a great time.
1: The other thing about the show, I will say, not only is it a great time, one of the reasons why we're a success is people are buying tickets and f- fours and eights. Not twos and fours. Why? It's a multi generational show. Yes, you have no worry about language. You have no worry about appropriate. Five year olds have said it's the greatest show I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of shows. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things where I remember when I first saw, you know, and I was a little older when I first saw Noises Off. It's the only show I bought a ticket the next night for, and I and there wasn't anything available. So I got a ticket to sitting in the audience the first night. I went and said, is there anything for tomorrow? And there was standing room. And I bought standing room the next night. Mm. And um, so for me, it's that great tradition of being surprised. And I think it's not since noise is off the original production on Broadway in the 80s have I seen anything as funny as this. When did you first see the show? How
0: did you discover? I heard
1: about the show before I saw it. Um, I was producing um, another show that you did of mine, Something Rotten, which I don't think we talked about in that in that little preamble. That was uh, so so. I'm glad we're still talking. Yes, uh, but it was a big hit here. It, I think you did it in the holidays. We did, and uh, it was a big hit. And and it was so much because fun because it's to a darn good show. Here. Thank you. Just a great time. You know what's great about this show? Then I'll tell you. Answer your question, but you know I did Drowsy Chaperone, one of the worst titles in the musical theater of telling people what it's about. And then I did, if that wasn't bad enough, I then did a musical called Something Rotten, which, you know, if you're, if you're not from this country or you don't know Shakespeare and you, and, and let's say you're from Tokyo and someone is asked, you ask someone, what should I see on Broadway? And you're not familiar with the language and they say something rotten. It's like, no, I want to see something good. And so, you know, it's, it was a challenging title. What I love about this play is it says what it is. It is the play that goes wrong. And you'd think, oh, you don't want to give that away, don't you? But the surprise is how wrong it goes, and yet through the wrongness, it finds its rightness. And and, and playing with that has just been great. So I'm producing something rotten in New York, and you know this from the League in America, the, what we call the League, which are all the theaters and the producers talk about how to get the shows out there. They have a similar thing in London called SALT, Society of London Theaters. Indeed. And usually, every, and I'm a member, I'm one of the f- uh, few Americans that's a member. Well, you've produced a, of a number of shows. Over there. Over there. Yeah. And so I get the notice from Salt, and I open it up. And, you know, it's from a show, and it's always like, please come see our show, think of us for the award season, we'd love to offer you tickets, let us know when you'll be there. And I get this letter, and it says, Dear Theater Professional, <laughs> um, you know, we are the Mischief Theater Company, and we have, a, you might have heard of our play, The Play That Goes Wrong, we are asking you, please do not come to our show. We are, are, we are somewhat embarrassed about it, and we had to open it because we had nowhere else to go, and um, we needed the warmth of the theater because we, you know, we don't have housing. It was one of the funniest so letters pleasure. about so do, not, do not vote for this show. It's please don't, and I thought, oh, this is, these guys are funny. Mm-hmm. I want, because I'm doing something rotten, and I'm using a similar campaign in America. I told my assistant, I said, I need to go see this show and I need to see it probably sooner than later because I think they're on to something. Two days later, I get a call from um, an agency, and uh, they say, uh, do you know J.J. Abrams? I'm like, yeah, I know J.J. Abrams. I know of J.J. Abrams. And they said, he just saw this play, The Play That Goes Wrong, and he really wants to think about being helpful in bringing it to the United States, and I said, "Well, I'm about to go see it." And he goes, "Well, we thought of you because of you know, we know JJ, we know you, we think you guys might want to do it because you know JJ also is producing some films and television, but a he few, loves yes. this." And mm-hmm. and I said, "Okay, I'm not quite sure how that would work, but I'm I'm seeing it next week. I saw it next week, then a week later. JJ and I spoke, and we realized." We're very simpatico in what we like in the theater. Uh, one of his favorite shows was Noises Off, too, when he mm-hmm. went and saw it in New York originally. And we've just realized, you know, we're both raising children and, 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 and we, we have similar things going on in our lives. And we both have a similar appreciation for the theater. And I didn't realize he grew up on the theater and he didn't realize I also spent time in film and then went back to the theater. So uh, as a result, We, uh, Kenny and Mark, uh, who were the original London producers, uh, agreed that we could do it as partners here with them. And so the four of us uh, decided to make an arrangement. And then so J.J. and I are the North American producers. and, uh, And it's just been a joy because the thing about J.J., he's innately curious. And I think successful careers, no matter what you do, you know, stay curious. And in film and television... You do everything you can to capture it, and then it's done, and then that's what it is. And J.J. comes from a place of wanting to always invent. And uh, so the fact that the play is never done, and even replacing the British company with the United States company, with an American company, always tweaking, always asking questions, and he's wonderful with actors, he's wonderful with authors and directors, and you know, Doug in the theater, it's not a work for a higher business. Right. Everybody has to show up to make it work. And if somebody really is a problem, you know, in film and television just get it in the can and move on. In the theater, everybody has to stay buoyant. JJ leads that. He is not he is not what you read about in cliché Hollywood personalities. He's a theater guy. Who happens to be one of the most successful film and television people we have. So he's truly a man. He's a Renaissance guy, and uh, and it's a privilege to be in the room with him.
0: Well, I will add that uh, your description of JJ is pretty much how I would describe you to someone. All oh. of those. <laughs> I mean that quite sincerely. Well, you. I'm blushing stay, over the. I'm blushing uh, over the podcast. You stay right now. so engaged. You are indeed truly wonderful with your artists. You treat them well. Uh, You—I've—I've I've seen it. You function as much a producer as a dramaturg on your shows. You help your authors as they're working through the challenges of. Act two's not working quite right. How are we going to get out well, of this? If mess? it's a
1: musical, I promise you act two isn't
0: working. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bane so of all of course, musicals. <laughs> the only thing you can do at that point is fire the wardrobe supervisor. Yeah, absolutely. Just out to show town. who's boss. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, know, that's very so.
1: sweet of you. And uh, uh, I am, uh, I am grateful uh, that uh, I have been allowed to collaborate people who actually allow me to contribute in some way because I, like J.J. and his visceral reaction to seeing the show, which he just sort of was filming and walked into something he'd never heard of and was surprised and had sort of a guttural, you know, emotional reaction to laughing like he hadn't laughed in a long, long time. This is a belly laugh it's show. It's a belly laugh show. and Absolutely. And so to have, I think part of my skill as a producer is I'm very by the gut. It's never about, oh, my God, is this a hit? It's that do I want to be in the room with this story? And if I want to be in the room with Mm the story, then it's a better chance to be a hit because if it's not a hit, I don't resent the time I spent because I wanted to be in the room with that story. And I think that alignment of whatever, however we fill our days, if you know why you're filling your days this way, rather than through obligation or because you're trying to get the approval of someone, but if you can align from your gut, and uh, I'm an only child. My parents died when I was young, and I think a lot of us in the theater come from a survival mentality of because again we create something that evaporates every every performance. There is something just sort of healing and wonderful about being in the room with others like that. And I think JJ is like that. He is a, he is a guy who um, who watched for a long time and 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 wasn't sure what he would, wanted to do. But if, if you talk to him and through the interviews, you know he is someone who just wanted to contribute. And I think um, I definitely know what that feels like because I'm, I'm, I'm very driven by wanting to
0: contribute. Seems like a very good match, the two of you. We're having in this fun. Business and we, relationship. We, yes. we, we, he has better hair than me <laughs> by far, but I'm starting Tell to us. wear, I'm starting to wear like, like, like <laughs> full,
1: like my reading glasses are now heavier, thicker, you know, darker glasses. Well, there is that look. I, I, that, that, I, here's, I'm putting it on. Folks. There we go. there, that's, that's my JJ. I just yes. put on some glasses. There you go. It's like Buddy Holly. It's like a Buddy Holly look that he's yes. now taken on as his own. Gotcha.
0: Uh, tell us a bit about uh, the Mischief Theater Company, please, and these uh, amazing young people and I, and who, again, who are that theater company. I
1: think because I was an actor and and, and and J.J., obviously, with his first shows, worked with his friends, you know, and to get up. I, I, these were three guys who all went to school together, uh, Henry, uh, the, the Henrys and Jonathan.
0: Right, two Henrys, right? Two
1: Henrys and one Jonathan, and they all went to school <laughs> together, and we met them when they were 27 to 28 years old. Mm. Um, they just turned 30 actually, and they had gone to school together and they put this up for like 20 minutes. They always loved magic and they always loved comedy and they put up this show in a, in a bar for 20 minutes and worked for beer. And through that, um, people started to come see and Kenny Wax came in touch with them and, and they expanded the show a little bit more and, um. Anytime, time, you know, whether it was you know, rent with Jonathan Larson for myself, or, or or Bobby and Jeff Lopez on on uh, Bobby Lopez and Jeff Marks on uh, on Avenue Q, or Lin Manuel Miranda on in the Heights, I love working with people who need an advocate to get themselves to Broadway, or even Bob Martin on Drowsy Chaperone, which absolutely, I with you. I, I am I again I think it's probably the only child in me is like I want to helpful for people to find their voice. And the Mischief Theater, uh, I wanted to be helpful to get them to Broadway. And a lot of people thought we shouldn't come to Broadway, maybe try off-Broadway and, and I am I recall, I'm like, recall no, it was very risky. And, 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 and I said, here's the thing, I think they're the next Monty Python, but no one knows that yet. And uh, so while we were doing that, they had already written Peter Pan Goes Wrong, and they were working on a play called The Play About the Bank Robbery, which is a play set in Minnesota about a bank robbery yes. in the 40s. I mean, it's just so odd that these three British, you know, friends from drama school write a play about that. I and saw it in London and loved it. that's still running. Yep. And uh, so the fact that by the time we brought them to Broadway, they had three shows already on the West End. And they were, I mean, who wouldn't want to be in business with these guys? And, uh, and also their loyalty to their friends because we brought over the original company for the play that goes wrong, which were the three guys and seven more people who helped them create the show from the very beginning. So that kind of loyalty and that kind of sense of community and bonding, that's what makes the show so special too. In our rehearsal process, we go through a very different rehearsal process of, you know, trust and, and, and not just the lines, but how you can rely on each other that you cannot manufacture. Mm -hmm. So, By saying we would do it, I I knew Broadway was going to work because these 10 people who created this show had a secret sauce that in America you rehearse for three weeks and put the show up. The comedy comes from their familiarity also with each other and their trust. So even when things go wrong, because actually things do go wrong, not meaning to go wrong in the play that goes wrong at times – they know how to take it and build on it, and through that, our show also. If well, let's you know, if things happen to go wrong, we have twenty contingencies at every moment in the show. If the, the couch does this, or the, I won't give away everything that happens, but certain things, and you know, since the set has been drinking, uh, you never know what the set's going to do. Um, we have this wonderful, wonderful uh, sense of we're just ready to play ball. I think that's that's the thing about this this show, and anyone who's, who surrounds themselves around the Mischief Theater Company. Everybody has to show up to be willing to take risks with each other because you know you can trust the person you're taking the risk with. And um, that's what's great. And we have more more to do with them. You're going to hear a lot about the Mischief Theater Company. And we're starting to actually – it's the play that goes wrong, but you'll see in a lot of the advertising now. It's like Mischief Theater Company because – and I've been a great advocate for this as well. They are like Monty Python. They are like the original SNL. They are they are this 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 truly truly triumphant of talent that's going to create many 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 more wonderful shows in the theater and also I think film and television as well. They're doing some television now in in London that might be uh, bought here in this country. So. Um, this is just the beginning with the mischief. we're going to get into a lot of mischief. we're going to become mischievous uh, <laughs> and uh, so and jJ great. and I are talking about doing more with that. it's so great
0: when you were um, really in your earlier days as mm-hmm. a producer, which we touched on uh, a bit earlier in this this conversation uh who were your who were your mentors who uh, who did you learn yeah, I, I because I learned this biz well, from my
1: first mentor actually um was somebody who I was an actor for. Um, my first uh, when I first moved to L.A., one of the first jobs I got was in Santa Barbara of a musical called uh, "She Loves Me," and uh, the director was Paul Blake. And Paul, uh, I then did that, and I did it at the Amundsen. I did that production at the yes, Almonson, the and Allison, then yeah. I went to film school uh, because Here I at USC at USC for my masters. Because uh-huh. I had been, I was now twenty six. Still playing seventeen year olds, and uh, I w- was, you know, God forbid you become really good at something that you only can do until you're thirty. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew like, you know, I can play the ingenue for another couple of years, but uh, you know, I did Mordred and Camelot and productions and joseph. and but my mind was really, you know, I had taken care of myself, you know, and moved when I was fourteen to live with my aunt and uncle and And I I had had a very sort of untraditional childhood where my survival skills were about, okay, I got to figure this out. And uh, as a result, uh, waiting for permission to perform started to, I didn't like waiting for permission. So I got my master's in film producing. And at the same time, uh, uh, right when I graduated, I started to work for Disney Pictures and did very, very well there. And I was on my way up and Paul said, uh, do you want to do RPAD again? Now I'm 29 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm kind of done with that. But, you know, I've been to film school and I know a little bit about film producing and I think I could help you in theater producing because as an actor, I kind of know how it works in theater too. So he hired me to be sort of his associate producer for a tour of She Loves Me that played the Florida circuit. And uh, my role was replaced by Jeb Brown and... Uh, a lot of great Pam Dauber was in it, and Joel Higgins again, and and, and a lot of Royal people who Royal Playhouse. Yeah, play yeah house, exactly. Parker Playhouse. Yeah, house. the Parker, we did the Florida Circuit, sure. and we ended, we ended, actually, it was an 11-week tour, but we ended at the Orange County Performing Arts Center, ah. right at, a couple years after it had opened. And I won't get into all the logistics and the economies of it, but um, mm-hmm. working on that show, Uh, in our final, we played 12 weeks and we kind of broke even down in Florida and and Charlotte Wilcox was the general manager. And so I would, I'd never met Charlotte, but I would pick up the phone because I was an actor. So I kind of knew how contracts worked. But I would, I would say, hey, we're doing this route. And she would say, well, the rule is this. But then I'd call Los Angeles Equity, who they knew me as an actor. I said, can we do this instead because we're having a trouble with that truck and we need an extra hour. And, and Equity worked very well with me because they knew me and they knew, you know, we weren't making a lot of money. We were just trying to get people working in L.A. Right. Um, and <laughs> we then came to the uh, – the uh, it's a great story to the Orange County Performing Arts Center, and we did like you know an eight hundred thousand dollars gross in nineteen eighty eight, which is like that's like three million in yeah. today's that's, dollars. That's, that's for what Hamilton loved, does per week. For on she Broadway. loves me, for she loves me. <laughs> that's great, and I'm the. Producer rep on the final night of settlement and settlement uh, for those of you who don't know is when you play a tour at the end of the engagement, whether it's five weeks at the end of five weeks or at the end of one week, you settle up how much did you pay on advertising how much was your crew how was you, and you and you you chop up whatever's left and all I can say is is I walked out with a check uh, from that week not really understanding what it all meant because uh, I was you know I was an actor so I faked that I was a producer and uh, <laughs> And I walked out, and I had to pull the check, and I said, this is our overage. And I said, we have to figure out how to do more of this. <laughs> <laughs> that was so the moment. I then worked for Paul for a number, a couple of that years, was- and right when he got the Amundsen contract, I mean the uh, Muni contract uh, in St. Louis where we would put a star in, and the first thing we did was Bye Bye Birdie with Tommy Toon. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, we created a company called The Booking Office, hired a young agent named Jeffrey Seller who was recently uh, looking for a gig. And then, uh, and then I bought Paul out a couple years later because I moved to New York and he stayed in L.A. And then Jeffrey and I became partners. We produced Rent. And then we, you know, we had a great 20 years of producing a lot of shows. And now Jeffrey and I, you know, produce independently and we're, we're both doing well. But Paul Blake gets a lot of credit. Uh, the other person who gets a lot of credit is Paul Blake's uh, attorney who's been my attorney ever since, uh, uh, Lauren Plotkin, uh, who's been my only attorney. And then uh, finally, but equally important, um, the person who gave me uh, shows as an independent producer when I was a booking agent, because I then, you know, really my living was booking until Renton came along. So I dealt with you when I was trying to sell you shows, other people's shows, whether it was Brie Osmond and Sound of Music Indeed. or Avita or, or shows I was representing, Manny Eisenberg. And the thing about Manny Eisenberg, I remember when I was in college in music theater school, undergrad, because I went to undergrad Cincinnati Conservatory of Music as a music theater major. So I was a very reasonable Hugh Jackman. Um, And uh, as a result, I remember picking up the Wall Street Journal when he was doing a, a play. I don't quite remember the play. It wasn't Lost in Yonkers. It was another play. The Wall Street Journal did a whole front page sort of article on Manny Eisenberg. And I thought to myself, that's somebody I need to meet. And and at that time, I wasn't quite sure I was a producer yet because I think I was doing Joseph in Chicago at the time. Mm. So I didn't even know I was going to evolve into a producer. But, it's, you know, those wonderful... It's almost like, you know, it's all random, but they're, it's probably not an accident that I'm probably here. Not. But it is random. But I just tried to stay conscious and listen to how I could contribute. So my mentors are those... Three Men, and uh, Charlotte Wilcox, as uh, who really, I think it's why as a producer, before I was a booking agent, I had to teach myself how to be a general manager, and then a company manager, and then run a Building with Paul at the Amundsen, which is—I keep saying the Amundsen—at the Muni. I'm at the Amundsen at the Muni, which is when you're with us. The Muni is in St. Louis. For those of you who don't know, it's a twelve thousand outdoor seat theater, and it always rains at nine o'clock, but the show starts at eight forty. So (laughs) I call it theater against all odds, and maybe that's what's attractive about the play that goes wrong. Because I will tell you, at the Muni, it was always the musical that went wrong every night, but yet it's joyous because. Everybody gathers, and it's too hot, and it's too humid, and it's too, too difficult. And yet, that orchestra kicks up outdoors, and you put 40 people on stage in a park, and you hear, you hear a Brigadoon or a 42nd Street tap dancing, and it's primarily just revivals. But the revivals are done with so much love and heart, and I think... It's where I kind of develop my personality. If I can do shows at the Muni, I I, I can kind of do shows anywhere.
0: Kevin, it's been such a pleasure to speak with it's you today. It's a joy to be back Thank here. you for doing yeah. this. Thank we, you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at the uh, theater in Listen, uh, a few weeks. I can't wait to, uh, to watch Los Angeles laugh like they've never laughed before. You've been listening to 30 to Curtain, a Center Theater Group podcast. You can find out more about The Play That Goes Wrong, our organization, and upcoming productions on our website at centertheatergroup.org.